0: All opinions expressed by host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. The host, podcast guests, and or Cambridge Associates clients and employees may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Please listen to the full disclosure at the end of the podcast for additional information. And, and.
1: about this brownie because I've could, i got a choice of one of 800 different brownie types. I want to know more about who's making my brownie? Where did the ingredients come from? Are we helping anyone by sourcing these these ingredients?
2: I'm Luke Sharest, and this is Andrea Arbach. She's not a baker. She's my colleague at Cambridge Associates, where she's the head of Global Private Investments. She leads a team of over 100 people worldwide who source, diligence, and invest in private equity funds. These funds come in all types. Some focus on healthcare businesses, while others invest in large-scale manufacturing. Andrea and I are talking about funds that focus on consumer brands. So an understanding of the array of choices that your typical baked goods fan faces is part of her toolkit.
1: You know, are we harming anyone by sourcing these ingredients? If I buy this brownie, are you giving another brownie maybe to a community that is a food desert, right?
2: There's a huge investment opportunity for both private equity and venture capital investors, especially now that millennials and Gen Zers have the most collective buying power. They've changed how brands and customers interact in a direct-to-consumer revolution. As a millennial myself, I can say we are happy to keep talking about what motivates us. And Andrea says
1: maybe it's this natural we need to rebel against our parents kind of thing right so I want to give my money to an upstart I want to give my money to someone who got into this this exact business for a reason a compelling reason and is doing good things with what I'm giving to this company as well.
2: Ubiquitous internet access, smartphones, and social media have made it easy for younger consumers to learn about the brands that align with their values and share their favorites. All this info is available to investors too.
1: In this current era, there's so much more you can tap into on the social media front to converge with the traditional data to tell you if this thing's about to take off. So I actually think it's a pretty exciting time to be an investor today.
2: It's an exciting time. But it can be a risky one too. Because in order to be a successful investor in consumer brands, you have to be able to know what reviews are authentic and what products have a real following. How do you decipher between a fad and a lasting brand? This is Unseen Upside from Cambridge Associates. It's investments beyond the returns. This season, we're meeting the people who take risks on the technology that will change the way we live.
3: Building a consumer brand, and we talk about this with entrepreneurs all the time, it's not a linear path. If it were that easy, then everybody would do it.
2: This is Wayne Wu, a general partner at VMG Partners. They describe themselves as entrepreneur first private equity investors, forging deep partnerships that transform visionary ideas into iconic brands for everyone. VMG stands for Velocity Made Good, a nautical term referring to how sailing in a straight line isn't the best way to win a race. You have to find the right wind.
3: And I think it really reflects how we partner with entrepreneurs and companies to be able to efficiently get from point A to B, which is, you know, to, to build iconic brands and great business models together.
2: And building a consumer brand is a lot different than, say, healthcare or other businesses that private equity firms invest in today. I asked general partner Robin Sai how VMG helps founders.
0: What we've always preached to our team is this idea of having an ecosystem approach to investing and it's also an ecosystem approach to helping our businesses as well. I think this is more a product of the fact that we are hyper focused. I think the promise that we make, and I think this is something that we're known for, we're not a light touch fund, you know, that's really not our MO.
2: One of the ways they've been able to build their ecosystem approach is that they can be a valued partner to founders regardless of stage or scale via their two funds, their flagship growth fund and a newer fund called Catalyst.
0: And at this point, within the growth fund, um, you know our area of focus really isn't food and beverage, beauty and personal care, the wellness space, the pet space, alcohol and spirits. From a stage of investment perspective, we are agnostic. And the reason why is because we've got such a fine-tuned filter already on those specific verticals, so we're happy to actually play up and down the life cycle of those businesses. About two years ago or so, um, we actually also created another fund called VMG Catalyst, and that is much more of a venture fund. It's primarily on commerce enablement, so much more the technology that drives a lot of the consumerism as well as just the businesses that we're actually working with directly on the growth fund.
2: From your vantage point what are some of the biggest changes you're seeing in terms of it's called it consumer preferences and what are they seeking in brands and how has that been changing over say the last two three five years
3: i mean it really comes down to how they're discovering brands you know and how they're interacting with brands it starts with a level of of transparency that that didn't exist during you know our our parents generation it was very much push-based marketing you know, of of the big conventional brands. Consumers want more than just a great product. You know, they're not discovering a brand through a TV commercial. They're, they're discovering it through, you know, an influencer on their social media feed. But it's really this intersection of consumerism and technology.
2: Like my colleague, Andreas, said, Wayne agrees that consumers want to know where their product is coming from and who is making it and why. VMG wants to know those things, too, when choosing a brand to work with. And each brand needs something different. I asked Wayne if there is a recent example of a brand that came to mind. He mentioned Lily's Sweets, which started as a low-sugar chocolate.
3: For founder Cynthia Tice, she started the business herself with two of her kids and a bookkeeper, all remote. Started in her basement in Pennsylvania. You know, she just sent an email to to me and just said, hey, you know... I'm Cynthia Tice, I'm the founder of this brand. Of of course, we were aware of the brand. And so I basically decided that I want you to, I want you to be my partner for the brand. And she'd done her research and decided it was going to be us.
2: For Lily's, VMG helped Cynthia bring on employees to handle their explosive growth.
3: We helped build a team and company in Boulder, Colorado. We brought on Jane Miller, who was on the board with us at Justin's, which is a a nut butter based business founded by Justin Gold and Hormel um, acquired that business um, uh, a few years ago as well. So through that core helped build an entire team around them in 30 days.
2: And with a bigger team to handle the increasing workload, VMG could start helping with distribution and securing retail relationships. In this case, they helped Lily's expand beyond Whole Foods and other natural channel type businesses and into key accounts like Target and Walmart. And they helped Lily's repackage and think beyond chocolate bars. Lily's now produces gummy bear, sour worms, chocolate covered nuts, caramels, and as much as I'd like to keep talking about sweets, Lily's is a great example of how in today's world, a small brand that gains traction with customers can quickly compete against the biggest incumbents. In this case, Lily's fast-growing, better-for-you sweets caught the eye of the Hershey company, which bought Lily's in the summer of 2021 for $425 million. Let's talk big brands versus small brands. Like, is it easier for smaller brands, per se, to compete against big brands than maybe it was 10 years ago?
0: That's been a huge change. And, and honestly, that's been a boon to, to our, our business, right? This idea that you've got more tools available to you at cheaper and sometimes costless in order for you to actually get out there and compete with the big boys. I think that that in and of itself has really changed the dynamic of competition. I think the other thing, though, is I think the smaller brands that are wise to it, they recognize that some of their superpower is the fact that they can just move faster and take bigger chances.
2: One of the challenges I would imagine you guys face uh, investing in where you invest is Knowing the difference between call it a fad or kind of a flash in the pan versus a truly iconic brand.
3: I think a lot of investors make a mistake by having their portfolio be an extrapolation of their own personal taste profile. And it's something that we talk about a lot at VMG where, you know, we certainly want to try their products, but, the, you know, we recognize that we're often an N of one, an N of two, an end of maybe 40 of us at most, and we're a bi-coastal fund, you know, in areas that may have certain tastes and preferences, and that may not reflect the entire consumer opportunity in the U.S., North America, and beyond.
2: And VMG prides itself on their keen ability to find brands at an inflection point of growth.
3: For us, it's something where we feel like it's tangibly proven itself in some way, shape, or form where there's real consumer demand, retention, and repeat. And from that, we're able to, to benchmark that through our years of experience and data to look and go, hey, what are some of the proprietary telltale signs for us that we're really on to something here Where it can become an iconic brand. Because a lot of times, you know, when we're investing, it's not yet an iconic brand. They're choosing VMG to partner with them to help build an iconic brand and great business model.
2: Before I let Wayne and Robin go, since we're talking so much about generational differences in this episode, I wanted to ask them both if anybody in their families had an influence on their career choices.
3: I grew up with immigrant parents. You know, my parents have known each other since they were kids. I am the great grandson of an illiterate opium rice peasant farmer in China. So, and my dad was the first in either side of his family to graduate from college. And so the reason why I'm even in the United States was my dad was the first to go to college. He went to college in the UK and he, um, he started his career there and saw a newspaper ad for a job in Houston, Texas. And the next thing you know, uh, my mom and dad were moving to Houston, Texas, and that's where I was born. And growing up, watching my father, who didn't take anything for granted, and I'm very proud of my father And that he's actually going to retire um, at the end of this year. He's been with the same company for over 42 years. So what I learned from my father's loyalty, because he stuck with the same company for 42 years, hard work and perseverance and tenacity.
0: You know, my parents came to the U.S., didn't really know anybody. My dad unsuccessfully tried to actually start a franchise, Baskin Robbins, which in retrospect would have been awesome for me as a kid. And so, you know, I think the lessons learned there were much less to do with like content. It was much more to do with how you want to carry yourself and sort of the mental perspective that you want to have about opportunity. My dad's not, not overly, you know, verbose, but Something that he did say that it continues to stick with me is just whatever you do, it doesn't matter what you do, but if you are like the best at it, there's always going to be a market for it.
2: And the work that Robin and Wayne do now and that their founders and their teams do aims to be the best at making a difference and doing good.
3: We want to be the most supportive in the ecosystem. And I wake up each morning with the lens of thinking like, who can we go help today? Who can we go help from an entrepreneur standpoint? How can we help support retailers? But I'm just lucky enough to be able to have the opportunity to meet these folks and try to help them in any small way we can to help drive that consumerism forward where consumers are improving what they put in and on their bodies.
2: Also helping consumers transform how they choose brands and cut through the noise is Jenny Jalander. She's the founder and CEO of Testing. We caught up in person in New York.
4: So I'm half Swedish, half Finnish. I grew up in Helsinki. Always thought I was going to work in the world of fashion and brands, but sort of stumbled into the whole world of startups through a a, a startup event that was
2: blowing up on our university campus. Years later, Jenny found her niche in reviewing the expanding market of direct-to-consumer brands.
4: So in January 2020, um, it was still me uh, and my Instagram account and a lot of really excited and passionate consumers on on Instagram. Today, we're a team of nine. Um, Half of the team is based in Europe. Our engineers are still back in my home country. (laughs) And uh, the rest of the team is based in New York.
2: Thing Testing is now a fast-growing company that creates unbiased and unpaid reviews on new direct consumer brands. Jenny likes to describe it as a millennial version of Consumer Reports. So I guess my biggest question as we kind of dive in here is there's so many brands out there today how do you choose what to engage with? What qualities or indicators or how do you decide what brands or products you're going to bring through the thing testing process and platform?
4: Something that uh, I think the direct consumer sort of space is doing very differently towards the more Amazon space, if you will, which is more, I guess, functional in in its decision making process for consumers is the sort of, um, you know, values, aesthetics, the sort of, a full experience around a brand that it comes with when it's often direct to consumer and a story that it can tell in those channels. So I, I often look for something you know new or different when it comes to that, be that an interesting sort of new type of packaging, a new type of innovation, new type of narrative and story and brand that they're telling, um, a new value or something they wanna sort of um, bring to the table with this product. Um, so a lot of it is very innovation-based.
2: When Jenny was doing all the reviews by herself on Instagram, she noted something interesting about her audience.
4: I felt sort of an, an exhaustion from a consumer point of view of like, do we really need all of these things? And so it was funny, the most popular post on in those early Instagram days was a total blank uh, review where I said, I'm not reviewing anything today. So I think that says something about how, you know, much people want that refreshed take on like, questioning what, what do we actually need and, uh, and how strong, at least in our audience, um, looking for brands that are thinking critical not only about themselves, but the sort of consumerism in general.
2: <laughs> for years, social media has been inundated with paid reviews without any gatekeeping. Jenny is trying to establish curated discovery and trusted reviews.
4: So of all the 2,000 brands in our directory, notice you can't pay your way in there. And that is really, really important to me because ultimately when we look at this space, it feels like whenever someone talks about a brand, it feels like there is some level of bias in it. um, And there's some some agenda that someone has.
2: Are there any brands that recently come to mind to you that you feel like knocked this out of the park in the sense of... um, boy, this was a new, refreshing take on something. And what did they do that you felt like really spoke to kind of authenticity as we're kind of talking about it, Um, whether it be value-based or what what have you? Like, what is one that really comes to mind that you're like, wow, they get the modern consumer and that is a refreshing product that truly is different?
4: Many. Just recently... I think uh, non-alcoholic beverages are doing incredibly well right now in the younger generations. And there's um, Gia is a non-alcoholic aperitif that I've just like loved following Melanie's journey, building that brand. And, oh, another one that comes to mind is Nuggs. Uh, it's a vegan chicken nugget company um, that has just done a, an incredible job in their tone of voice and branding. Uh, every time I see an ad from them, it's almost like a piece of entertainment that I just enjoy seeing. That's another one. And in general, I think the whole meat-free vegan um, sort of space has a lot of upswing. We're seeing a lot of lab-grown stuff come out right now.
2: And Think Testing thinks of their reviews for products like these as a feedback loop not a place where people can only complain about or praise a brand.
4: And so we've framed a lot of our reviews around giving feedback to the brands, which is uh, a lot about what what we've seen so far coming through the reviews is, I wish you would, um, you know, ship to this country. I wish you would make this in another color. And so it's a very sort of exciting take and actually a useful take to the brands. And what we're hoping and believe and already are seeing on the platform is that the brands who are open to that feedback, who are open to being transparent brands and, and know that everyone will have an opinion and the most transparent brands will enjoy being part of that conversation with consumers.
1: I think there's a new requirement for authenticity. You know, give me more than just a brownie for my dollar, right? I want to feel like i'm participating in a bigger story than just i was hungry and i bought a brownie
2: this is my colleague in california andrea Arbach again as she said at the beginning this type of investing can be tough unless you have the right partners
1: when we look at the types of returns or the fan of outcomes of of different types of sector investments consumer actually has quite a volatile a volatile pattern compared to say a widget, you know, industrial widget manufacturing kinds of businesses, right? And why is that? Because sometimes a consumer facing business captures the entire zeitgeist of of where we are right now buying this stuff and it just takes off. And suddenly from an investment perspective, you are part of a trend that you saw early and then everybody else saw it after you saw it. But you have to as an investor you have to be willing to accept that that volatility because it is riskier than investing in certain other sectors i think it makes it exciting
2: and if you are a parent out there you might have a front row seat to what the future may look like and are there any uh, gen zers living under your roof and have you noticed that this is something that they're thinking about already
1: I do happen to have a few Gen Zers, and um, as a, you know, a Gen Zer being raised by cynical Gen Xers is quite a combination. I'm, I'm quite worried for our, our nation's future, uh, given, given what at least the two Gen Zers I know are, are getting up to these days. But what I've observed with Gen Z at the moment is that they do tend to pick up something, intensely focus on it for some shorter period of time, like a gadfly's life. And then they kind of move on to the next thing, but they definitely do develop opinions. They definitely are getting more, more origin stories around certain products, certain histories, and, and they're embedding that into their mindsets. So it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with that
2: generation. And like every generation, building brand loyalty with new consumers, each with a new set of values, is where the investment opportunity lies. Maybe we're not so different from our parents after all. If you want to learn more about investing in consumer brands, please visit our website, cambridgeassociates.com slash unseen upside, or check out the show notes. Stay tuned for more upcoming episodes of Unseen Upside. If you like what you are hearing, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues. I'm Luke Charest. At Cambridge Associates, our podcast team is led by myself and Hilary Roboto, from PRX Productions, producer and writer Genevieve Sponsler, associate producer Sierra Spragley-Ricks, sound design and post-production engineering by Samantha Gatzik, the project manager is Ian Fox, the executive producer of PRX Productions is Jocelyn Gonzalez. Before you go, one of my colleagues has an important message about the contents of this podcast.
5: Hello and Chris Gott aus München. This is Jakob Schreiber from Cambridge Associates Munich office. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from any Cambridge Associates entity to the listener. The terms CA or Cambridge Associates may refer to any one or more Cambridge Associates entities. Neither Cambridge Associates nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Cambridge Associates, and Cambridge Associates is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Cambridge Associates to that listener, nor to constitute such a person, a client of any Cambridge Associates entity.